nursing industry is one of the fastest growing career forces in the world today. There are so many issues in the healthcare field these days relating to nurses that simply are not discussed in the media. Welcome to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with Leanne Meyer. Our program will help you with the most relevant information if you're in the nursing field or are planning to enter the industry. Now, here is your host, Leanne Meyer. Welcome back to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, and thank you so much for joining us again. Uh, I wanted to mention our sponsor today is Carol Lunsford of Holly Blue Nurse Community App, which is for and about nurses. You will find there some resume tools to help you stay organized and be able to um, put out a resume very quickly whenever you need it. Um, There are professional opportunities, community and peer support, a self-empowerment and self-care app, as well as the Nurses as Lifeblood of Healthcare page. Their motto is hollyblue.com, a community where nurses thrive. I love it. Please check it out. So today's uh, episode is uh, called Nurse Turnover, How Do We Stop the Flow? In the past many years, few people outside of healthcare uh, may have even been aware of the struggles and disruption going on inside healthcare, particularly with nurses, but with also doctors and other healthcare workers. Nurses have been leaving the profession and even healthcare itself in droves. This includes all ages, levels of licensure, and years of service. One of the largest and long-expected groups to leave are the retiring boomers. And as I understand, there are thousands leaving every day just because of retirement and age. However, new and seasoned nurses have been uh, leaving in unprecedented numbers. COVID has added a whole new group of nurses leaving. Those who have become exhausted, concerned for their own families, ill from COVID themselves, and those who have died. That is what this show is all about. What is happening, why, and what can we do about it? My guest today is Kristen Baird, and she is of the Baird Group Consulting. And She calls herself, quote, a culture catalyst who delivers the kind truth to healthcare leaders. I bring a magnifying glass, mirror, and roadmap, unquote. Kristen, tell us briefly about this, the road from nursing to consulting and research. Yeah, thanks, Leanne, and thanks for having me on your show today. Um, I had a very uh, non-traditional road here. I uh, <laughs> started my clinical career uh, at the bedside, of course, in med mm-hmm. surge and critical care obstetrics and went to public health. Um, and I also did um, health promotion coordination, and I started to realize there are so many opportunities beyond the traditional nursing role that we kind of grew up with. Uh Um, And so I was hired to do a um, 24-hour triage line, ask a nurse, in Janesville, Wisconsin. And it was housed in a marketing department. So most organizations that brought in this this tool, it was housed in marketing because Uh you were accumulating all this great data. Well, my boss was Quint Studer. Oh, um, if you, you're if that kidding. name rings a bell. No. Yes, it does. And, and so I, I suddenly had access to these volumes of data, and I'm one of those inquisitive people that keeps asking <laughs> why and what if. And so we started to really mine that data 
to drive marketing and business development decisions. And within nine months, Quint promoted me to director of marketing. Mm -hmm. And I just kept going at that, you know, because marketing is really designed to listen to the voice of the consumer and are the guardians of the brand. But nursing is really where the brand promise is delivered, you know? And so for me, it was a beautiful union it led me to um, continue researching on how do consumers look at quality, and that was my master's thesis, which wow. brought me into a whole other realm of looking at patient experience and culture and leadership. So that's, that's a roundabout, you know, journey mm-hmm. to where I am now. And then, you know, when I wrote my second book, Customer Service and Healthcare, I started consulting with other organizations, and I thought, well, this is silly. Why would I keep my full-time job elsewhere when I could do this consulting on my own? And so that's what I did is I started the Baird Group and never looked back from there. Great. And I would like you to give your website um, because, you know, having the resources that you're talking about that you have written, I am sure there's going to be people who will want to um, uh, go there and uh, see if they can find out something that would be helpful for them. So just give us, you, you know, your email address if you want to give that, and then also your website. Sure. I'll start with the website. It's Baird, B-A-I-R-D hyphen group, G-R-O-U-P dot com. So Baird-group.com okay. is our website. And then my email is Chris with a K, K-R-I-S at Baird-Group.com. Okay, great. And I know that um, you have written a white paper also that uh, just was based on pretty recent uh, 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 research that you had done. So um, maybe we should start with uh, what is the rate and the cost of turnover? Oh, gosh, the rate, if we look at, um, this is the state of turnover in 2020, Mm -hmm. and when we look at hospitals, um, it's 15.9% of of RN turnover, up from 14.2 in 2019. Now, if we look at long-term care, Mm -hmm. it's 34.5% turnover for RNs and 29.3 for LPNs. I mean, that's, that's really disturbing. That's not even a revolving door. That's like a fan. <laughs> it is. And the thing mm-hmm. is, is that when you look at that, you know, it's, it's like turning over even the hospitals at 15.9%. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like turning over your entire nursing workforce every six years. You know? Right. So, I mean, it's it's just very disconcerting. And then, so, and then you asked about the cost. Yeah, you know, talk about that. Look at the yeah. When we look at the data, um, and I'm citing from the NSI, the National Healthcare Retention Report, 2020. Um, they gave a range from thirty-three thousand to fifty-six thousand dollars per nurse per turn. And the average is at $44,000. Wow. So you look at it and you think, oh, my gosh, you know, that adds up 
it's incredible. And the average hospital is spending between three and six million dollars on nurse turnover. Wow. Yeah, that's a, that's a chunk of change. Yeah, it's it's yeah. huge. And and in long term care, you know, they they um, you know don't go by the same turnover data that hospitals or acute care does. But if you look at uh, the Bureau of Labor Statistics, mm-hmm. they say that okay, it's between um, 0.5 to two times the annual salary is what it costs per yes. turn. Right. And then there are other uh, things that happen. There's disruption on the units. Um, talk a little bit about the things that are not necessary. Well, and one thing is when one person leaves, there's that poll that everybody is asking themselves, should I be going too? Yeah. Yeah, there is. I mean, it's, you know, that sense of team mm-hmm. is so important. And, and there are so many things that happen in an organization when somebody else leaves, when somebody mm-hmm. leaves. It's not just um, the cost of that turn. Mm-hmm. Um, quality, safety, service, morale, yes. team, all of those things suffer. Because there's, you know, in order for a team to really be cohesive, there has to be this kind of shared knowledge. You know, I know how Leanne works. Leanne knows mm-hmm. how I work. We both know that this is what we um, value on, in our department, in our organization. And when there's turnover, all of that gets eroded. Mm-hmm. You know, every time a key person is leaving, you, you start to erode that sense of team and then you build it up and they leave it, you know, someone else leaves and it, you have to build it back. So there is a lot of cost to turnover other than the re- recruitment dollars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's really amazing. Um, so I mentioned the white paper, and I do want to mention here, too, that I put it on my host site for this show um, as a second um, guest. And so there is the link uh, is written there. It's not a link. You have to you'd have to copy it and paste it. Um, but it will give you the white or give the audience the white paper that you have put together. And um, so let's talk about that a little bit more. What would you like us to know about what you recently researched on that? And and when did this white paper research take place? Yeah, I started I started it pre-COVID <laughs> and hmm. had to continue it during COVID, um, but it, you know, my whole intention was to look at what, what is happening out there? You know, what, mm-hmm. what are the numbers? And then, you know, me being the curious researcher, I'm always after the why. Why is this happening? Why is this happening now? Um, and then what can we do about it? So mm-hmm. I started to do the research back in like November and December, and I wrapped up in March. And um, or early April, I guess. And what I was doing was I was conducting in-depth interviews with CNOs from all over the country. You know, mm-hmm. so I got a good cross-section of people from small hospitals to large systems to, you know, acute care, long-term care, outpatient, you know, all mm-hmm. of these different aspects to find out from your vantage point, you know, why is it happening um, what can we do about it? So I started to ask the question from an executive leader position, 
what can you do differently, and then what can managers do differently. And mm-hmm. it was really, um, it was really eye opening because it it was very consistent. Hmm. It was very consistent the themes that I was able to um, identify in in every one of these questions. You know, from the the nurse executive, what do you think is the biggest cause? What can you do about it right now? And so much of it came down to leadership, leadership really? and culture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, leadership and, and culture, and the two go hand in hand because the leader mm-hmm. on a unit creates the culture or sustains mm-hmm. the culture, right? Mm-hmm. And can terrorize people with a, a negative culture. Well, yeah, um, exactly. Certainly seen that. Exactly. And so one of the things that the the CNOs kept saying is, you know, I know I shouldn't do this, but I continually bring people up from the ranks, mm-hmm. you know, people that are really good nurses, I mm-hmm. make the manager. And I always have good intentions of getting them, um, you know, some good leadership development, but it never turns out that way. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, Leanne, when when I first graduated from nursing school a million years ago, we were having <laughs> not, this same not a million, <laughs> not well, yeah. half a million. Okay, yeah, right. But we were having the same discussion. You know that exactly. that weak nurse leadership was because we weren't creating these leaders. We were bringing good nurses into exactly. leadership. And I'm not saying good nurses shouldn't be given the chance to evolve mm-hmm. and advance. They absolutely should. But we have to do it with intention and give them the tools so that they can succeed. And they have to start that management training prior to being put in the position. Yes, and it can happen. And it can happen mm-hmm. without giving them a title. It can happen, and we talk about this um, a lot in the courses mm-hmm. that I teach. When we talk about um, conducting stay interviews, so if you find out somebody is really interested in becoming a leader, you don't mm-hmm. say, "Okay, I'll make you a supervisor tomorrow," and you get a pay increase. <laughs> you, you say, yeah, one dollar an hour or something like that. Well, an HR would just love you to pieces for that, mm-hmm. but no, that's not really what you need to do. You need to find out. Where can this person start to um, increase their leadership ability in small ways and mm-hmm. with my mentorship? So it might be a project where they are the, the lead for a project. It might be that you uh, make them a charge nurse and give them, you know, good mentorship around what does it mean to be a good charge nurse and how do I help this person be successful? So it, it can happen in small increments. Yeah. It, uh, I think that so many times people think uh, that just having that, that title will make them feel uh, more confident and stronger. And usually, I, I shouldn't say with everybody, but certainly there are people that it makes them feel less confident because suddenly they've gone from being the best at what they were doing. They knew everything. They were the go-to person. And suddenly they're in a situation where they are now the newbie. And people are still looking to them to know 
everything. And unless they've had training either through, you know, a master's program or, um, you know, some other program that would give them that management training or, you know, maybe through the organization, um, they suddenly realize that, oh, this is a whole different ballgame here and I don't know how to start. Uh-huh, exactly. I was just having this conversation over the weekend with a, uh, a nurse leader colleague of mine, and, you know, we were reflecting on, you know, when we became managers, mm-hmm. and literally it was one day I was a staff nurse, the next day I was a manager, and I was thinking, oh, my God, somebody is going to realize I don't know what the heck I'm doing. Not only did they hand me the keys and the new name tag, but, Mm -hmm. I mean, I was managing, you know, a huge budget, and all these people were looking Mm -hmm. to me for decisions and looking for guidance and leadership. Exactly. And, you know, I will say I have good instincts, but it sure would have been nice Mm -hmm. to have somebody, you know, helping me through this and giving me those responsibilities um, in bite-sized pieces. Right. One of the things um, we were talking earlier about stories, and one of the things that happened with us uh, was in the organization I was working for, um, we realized that we had a 64% turnover rate, um, especially with uh, new nurses, but we were having it with lots of other people too. And, and, And this was not just nurses, but it was across the entire system of every job. And so I, at that time, was working um, with a group that were uh, trying to figure out, you know, what are the problems in the organization and how can we fix those or help those, especially through training. And so we developed all sorts of training programs for managers, and eventually it got down to the um, the frontline workers themselves. Um, but I think I just lost my train of thought. Oh, Quint Studer was... Um, Uh, the group that we hired to help us uh, kind of make our way through, how do we get this better? How do we uh, become the place where every nurse, every person hears about and says, oh, we want to be there. So even if you have somebody leaving for another position, they are recruiting other people to come to work for you. Um, They become your ambassadors. Exactly. So so that's one of the things that... um, that I really worked on developing over this last 20 plus years was um, that culture assessment. Mm-hmm. You know, just like a, a provider is not going to give you a prescription and a treatment plan until they do a thorough assessment to make an accurate diagnosis and then get to the treatment plan. And so when it comes to fixing a broken culture, it's the same thing. You know, we want to get in there and and take that magnifying glass and look really (laughs) deep. What are the beliefs and attitudes? Mm -hmm. Um, And then hold up the mirror to the senior leaders and say, look, this is what you look like to your frontline staff. This is what you look like to your, to, you know, the organization looks Mm -hmm. like to the nursing staff, to the providers, to the frontline staff, to, you know, all these different stakeholders. Mm -hmm. And now we got to close these gaps. So um, understanding the beliefs and attitudes and having, you know, direct quotes from those stakeholders that really bring those stories to life will, you know, I always say it, it takes data and it moves it from the head to the heart. 
And once you get mm-hmm. there, you can really move a culture along. And, and right. the thing that you, every, every organization that is struggling um, with, whether it's patient satisfaction, whether it's quality, safety, service, whether any, any of those, you can trace it back to leadership. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like the gift that keeps on giving <laughs> when you yeah. invest in, in leadership, but in, mm-hmm. in remembering that great leaders are made, not born. Mm-hmm. You know, people have to learn the skills. Yeah, and there are skills to be learned. It's, it's not just, oh, she's a great person, everybody loves her. Um, suddenly, when you're the leader, then you have to be the mediator on a thousand different things that never came up when you were the coworker. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's another thing, too, is there's a whole set of challenges when you are that coworker and suddenly um, you become the manager, then there's all that transition from being a peer to being the boss. You know, I've coached a lot of people um, having to find their way through all of that. And, and there's often a lot of personalities and dysfunction that can emerge when mm-hmm. somebody's promoted and there's bitterness. Right. You know, all of that has to be addressed. One of the things that a lot of people talk about um, when you talk about turnover is the bullying, the um, burnout, all of those kinds of things. And when I was thinking about it, you know, you, you think of those as being the reasons, but really they're not. They're the symptoms. So it's, right. again, that leadership. If you have a good leader in place, bullying is not allowed. And, um, right. exactly. you know, even... Yep. Right. Absolutely. You know, the, the whole reasons that people give, you know, and bullying does come up. But mm-hmm. it was surprising that as I did this and um, did this research that um, it was the manager or leader. And when you combine those, that became the number one uh, cause uh, because people leave their boss, not their job. Mm-hmm. You know, in the vast majority, and there are some great articles from Harvard Business Review on the subject. The mm-hmm. second thing was environment and culture. And when you, you know, I, I use the words that the person being interviewed gave me. And so some said environment, some said culture. But as mm-hmm. I probed, you know, they were the same thing. Bullying came up, but it wasn't nearly as prevalent as uh, culture and leadership. Right. And culture, um, that's kind of an intriguing thing, too, because it goes back to what you talked about, heart, that, you know, most uh, organizations or businesses are based on more numbers or rational or whatever, at least they think it is. But if there's ever an organization um, that uh, is based um, on heart, it would have to be the organizations of healthcare. And if those people who are leading don't understand that it is the heart that brings people, sorry, I'm uh, trying to turn off my my volume here and it's now wanting to go away. Um, so uh, th- you want to know that the people that are attracted to healthcare are those people who have a heart, that are very comfortable with emotion, their own and other people's. And if you are only looking at everything from a, a a dollar uh, line or uh, uh, logistic or uh, 
that kind of thing, you're going to lose those people who are in it for their heart. Say more about that. Is that something that you see? Yeah, oh, absolutely, absolutely. But the heart and the wallet are also connected, you know. Yeah. So let me expand on that. Um, you know, having been in administration, I, I had to keep an eye on the financial responsibilities for the organization. You know, no margin, no mission. Because, mm-hmm. you know, if, if you don't have enough to keep afloat, you know, all the mission statements in the world aren't going to make it happen. Mm-hmm. If, however, you can generate a culture where, you know, patients want to come for care, where employees want to work, where providers want to practice. If you mm-hmm. can really focus on that culture, the money is going to follow. Mm-hmm. Because then you can get people engaged, they're connected to purpose. And so when you really come at it from, from heart, you mm-hmm. can demonstrate how important everybody is in that mission. And everybody's ready to roll up their sleeves and get to work when they have that common cause. And, you know, we have a saying when there's a lot of people that, that talk about moments of truth. And in, when we're talking patient experience, we talk about moments of truth. Um, I like to use the definition from Susan Keen Baker, uh, where a moment of truth is the moment your patient decides if you are what you say you are. Mm-hmm. And so those could be from the time you make a phone call in, when you walk in the building, when you, you know, it's are you what you say you are. And what you say you are, you put out there in your mission, vision, value statements, but you might put out in your advertising. Uh-huh. But moments of truth also come into play with your employees. So what do you say you are and how do you uh-huh. live up to that? Your culture is going to be, is going to speak volumes about are you what you say you are? So if you say we're, a compa- we're an organization that values respect and compassion, there's no fine uh-huh. print that says for our patients only, yeah, right? right. The compassion mm-hmm. and respect, if it's truly a core value, is for your employees too. And does that come across? Mm-hmm. Is that something that, that managers know how to foster mm-hmm. in their own department? And often they have to be feeling that. You, you mentioned that before. It goes right up the line. The patient wants to be where the nurse wants to be. The nurse wants to be where they have supportive leadership. And the supportive leadership wants to make sure that they have an organization that gets all of that and is, is um, like you said, from the CEO to the very newest employee. I had, um, for a while, I was hiring new employees, and I had a guy that came in, and um, we had our interview and et cetera, and at the end of it, I asked him you know, if he thought he was interested in this position, and he said, um, I was already ready to accept the position when I came in this morning. He said, I came an hour early, and I walked around the whole um uh, building and talked to several different people. Many people, he said, came up and asked me if I needed help. Um, I went into the cafeteria and I found people laughing and talking uh, in bright spirits. And um, he said, even on the elevators, people asked me if I, you know, how I was doing and if I was finding what I needed. He said, I had already decided to accept this job before I even came for the interview. Mm-hmm. And, and that is so, that's such a great example, Leanne, because that, it's amazing what a culture looks like, feels like, sounds like 
you know, when fresh eyes come in contact. And yeah. that's exactly what you want to have happen, right? That right. when, you know, and, and there are a lot of fancy academic definitions of culture, but I'm going to tell you what mine is. <laughs> and it's how we really do things around here. So, <laughs> right. Exactly. And so what you're describing is how you really do things and how people really feel about their work mm-hmm. and so on. And yeah. so if you've created an expectation that we are a place of compassion, that means we create a welcoming environment. That means that our behaviors are aligned so that we see a, a person looking lost. We ask how we may help them. Mm-hmm. If we, you know, see somebody that's visiting and, you know, they, they might um, look like they're concerned, you know, about something. Is there something we can do to help you? Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's owning that. So a culture of ownership is, yep. you know, the ideal. I've had Joe Tai on here, and he talks a lot about culture of ownership. Um, this is maybe a good place for us to take a break, and so I'm going to do that. And then when we come back, let's talk about um, culture and talk about how do you develop people who don't have those skills naturally. So this is Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, Exploring the World of Nursing. We're talking about nurse turnover, how do we stop the flow, and I'm speaking with Kristen Baird of the Baird Group Consulting, and um, we are going, we've just been having a wonderful conversation. We're going to continue it on the other side of the break. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. WomenInHealthcare.org, a national nonprofit, is our newest partner at Once a Nurse. It is among the most rapidly growing professional development groups for women in healthcare today. Through healthcare education, professional development, mentorship, community, and a focus on self, the organization empowers women with the tools needed to advance their careers. They use initiatives to break down barriers within organizations and equip women with the tools needed to open a powerful force for gender parity. 80% of the healthcare workforce is female, with nurses a massive majority of that percentage. But less than 20% of leadership is female. Join womeninhealthcare.org as they help all women of all ages and all levels rise up. Use code HEALTHPROS to receive $50 off the annual membership fee and receive discounted pricing for events, free resources, webinars, and a substantial discount for our annual leadership summit on October 22, 2020. WomenInHealthcare.org to be where you want to be in the world of healthcare. Hey nurses, what would you say is the hardest part about being a nurse? Well, most of you would say it's putting everyone else's needs before our own, which means not enough time for self-care. And this is why Holly Blue has created a peer support and community app just for nurses, so you can take care of you. Holly Blue is the ultimate nurse app to help you connect with local nurses, organize your nurse life in one place, restore your love for nursing, and empower you to thrive in a field that needs you. Want to see how it works? Student nurses, nurses, and retired nurses can download this free app on the App Store or Google Play now. Just type in H-O-L-L-I-B-L-U or go to hollyblue.com to start connecting. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health & Wellness. listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. To reach the program today, 
please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to leannevoiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. Welcome back, and thank you so much for for joining us again or staying with us. Um, Our topic today is nurse turnover, how do we stop the flow? And I'm speaking with Kristen Baird of the Baird Group Consulting, which, of course, she has uh, started herself. Um, We have been uh, talking about a lot of things, and the most recent thing was we were talking about culture and what what a difference, because as we say, we always hear this phrase that, People don't leave organizations, they leave managers. And so how do we create a culture that supports the managers to support the employees? Um, So we've talked about the culture. Where do we have to go from there to make this all work? Yeah, that's a really, really good question. And, um, you know, where do you have to go? I think for leaders at the senior level, you know, when we're talking about culture and we're helping to align all of these moving parts to be a mm-hmm. place where nobody wants to leave, mm-hmm. one of the things we find that is missing in the vast majority of the organizations that bring us in um, is that they haven't articulated a clear vision for the culture of the future. And the truth is, if you don't know where you're going, any road is going to get you there, right? Right. So being able to articulate what do we want that future to look like and how does it feel? How does it look? How does it sound? If you're a nurse, you know, what is it like to work here, you know, in the, this ideal culture? Um, for providers, what is it like to be a provider here in the ideal culture? So helping them to articulate that because mm-hmm. once you've done that, then you can start aligning um, the key performance indicators. You know, so how are we going to know we're getting there? And one of the things we help organizations do after we help them articulate that vision for the culture of the future, the next question is, who do you have to be as leaders Mm -hmm. to make that happen? And so then we start to break that down. Where are you now? What are the core competencies that are going to get you from here to there? And, um, you know, what do you have to do around development to get you (laughs) from here to there? And so those are really important pieces that are very often missing. Um, So there's people who want to start with, you know, let's, do staff training and customer service, well, that's not going to get you there. Mm-hmm. If you don't have leaders who know how to coach, mentor, model, manage, hire for the mm-hmm. behaviors you want, it, it's not going to all fit together. So you got to make sure you put that strong foundation in. Mm-hmm. So you're going to articulate the vision. You're going to identify what are the core competencies for the leaders who can get you there and then develop the strategies and tactics so that you're developing the skills in those people. 
and those people who can do the mentoring, I think you mentioned that too, that uh, many times in an organization, you already have people there that are very skilled at what you want them to be able to do. And then you have people that maybe that's not, you know, their experience previously, or maybe not something that they have felt comfortable with. Um, right. And so you're you're bringing out this brand new thing and it, all the leaders have gotten on board. But then how do you get the employees to buy into it, to have them feel like, yes, I want to be in this kind of an organization. I want to be that kind of person who contributes to this organization. Yeah, it's sharing that vision. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's sharing that vision and saying, we know we haven't been the best, but here's where we're going. And we're looking for the best people to help us get there. Are you in? You know, and most people aren't going to raise their hand and say, well, yeah, I'm kind of a slacker. I'm not, you know, sometimes <laughs> I'm it, Instead, they're going to, you know, say, yeah, yeah, show me the way. I'm in. You know, if you can articulate that and get people excited and show them that everybody else is on board, you know, all the leaders are, are committed to making things happen. Um, transparency, being clear about your communication, where, where so many organizations fall apart and where people don't feel like they can trust is where you don't have transparent communication. And we've been through such troubling times these last seven, eight months where, you know, when I talk with organizations and find out what is going well for you and why do you think it's going well, what isn't going well, and where did it fall apart, a lot of it comes down to communication, you know, Mm -hmm. being transparent, telling people openly and honestly, we don't have all the answers right now, Mm -hmm. but stick with us and we'll figure it out as we go because that's what COVID has done. And I I have talked to some nurse leaders across the country who have told me, that this has been a game changer for them in a positive way, that they have had higher job satisfaction than ever before because of seeing how people could really pull together, could rally and get it done uh, faster, more efficiently, and more cohesively than ever before. And I think that that's, you know, there's something to be said for for all of that. Um, But when we talk when we talk about um, turnover, I think it's important that we uh, think about strategy. You know, there's, when people talk about, they, they often say recruitment and retention, and we should flip that around because recruitment mm-hmm. often gets top billing right. when we should be saying, let's focus on retention, let's keep the ones we have, and then we don't have to work so hard at recruitment, right? right. <laughs> that our, our nurses are going to be recruiting others for us, you know, mm-hmm. when we need that. And, and we've got generational differences in turnover. You know, you know, boomers are retiring at a very rapid rate. It's slowed a bit because of COVID, and people are worried mm-hmm. about their retirement. Um, but it's still happening at a rapid pace. And you, when you look at uh, turnover in boomers, very different reason, reasons than turnovers in millennials. You know, and, um, you know, I'll, let, me, let me just clarify on that. Um, 
So boomers often report, you know, that they want more respect. They want to feel valued for their years of service and their knowledge. Um, they're often impatient with millennials who have, who have a different set of um, work values than theirs. Um, boomers are aging, and the physical demands, especially with 12-hour shifts, are very difficult for the boomers. So what are we doing in organizations to try to retain that intellectual capital instead of just accepting, oh, they're, they're at retirement age, out they go, um, mm-hmm. to, to really focus on what strategies can we put into place to keep this great group of people in the workforce, but maybe not working 12-hour shifts and not, um, you know, working the very physically demanding um, roles. What can we do around that? You know, I had read a statistic that something like 85% of healthcare organizations say that um, that retention is a top priority, yet fewer, in single digits, actually have a retention strategy in place. Huh. Yeah. And of those who have retention strategies, um, the vast majority are um, really focused on the, the new grads because we have such high turnover among, um, you know, new grads and people in their job mm-hmm. less than 24 months. It's people are really focusing on, okay, let's see what we can do to keep those, those new hires instead of saying, what else can we do to retain our seasoned workers who are close to retirement, you know? Mm-hmm. So looking at different, different strategies. Um, and, and one sarcastic little one-liner I, I throw out there is, hope is not a strategy. <laughs> and when organizations approach this hoping that the boomers are going to stay, it's not going to work well for them. Mm-hmm. So instead of hoping, let's put some concrete strategies in place, start having those conversations with the older nurses and start to help them see alternatives to shutting the door completely versus, you know, leaving it half open. You know, what could they do? Um, you know, when you think about the the physical demand, I, I look back at, you know, when I ran Ask a Nurse and managing those triage lines, doing post-discharge calls, mm-hmm. you know, things like that that um, are not going to be as physically demanding would be great mm-hmm. options. Training. If they could yes. do some training, yeah. they could be mentors to these new young women. Um, yep. I often wonder, uh, be, because um, as I've been talking to new people coming out of nursing school, one of the things I keep hearing is, one, that there really isn't much in the way of nursing theory anymore, which boggles my mind. And then the second thing is that they get very, very little clinical experience. So, you know, a half day, you know, four days a week on one area. And basically by that time, you know where the locker is and the bathroom. Exactly. And that was something we heard a lot about is that the new grads coming out of school are not feeling prepared Mm -hmm. to handle a full caseload, Right. Right. So students have had one or two patients for maybe a half of a shift, and that has been clinical experience. 
and we put them out there on the floor and we expect them to get it. And um, preceptorships are very helpful, but really when you look at the, the data, the nurse residencies are, are the best where they can have a full year to get right. their, you know, their legs so that they feel more competent and confident. Yep. Yep, before they have the major. I mean, you think about uh, a promotion. That's kind of what's happening when you come out of nursing school. You know, if you liked the theory and you liked uh, some of the things that you were learning, um, many times if that organization you're going into does not have that same culture or that same concept, um, you are not going to be able to put to into um, uh, action the things you learned. And so I used right. to hear that from, I was a manager for a while, and I would hear that from my new grads is that this is not what I trained to do. Well, right. if you train exactly. to be a nurse and you want to be in a hospital, this is the work. Yeah, yeah. So you have to understand where where their education what expectations they have coming out. But, mm-hmm. but that brings me to my other point. I talked about boomers, millennials, and Gen Zs. You know, they have a different approach to work that, you know, boomers often look at them like they have a lousy work ethic. Mm-hmm. And that's not the case. It's different. It, so we can't make them bad or wrong. We have to just work to understand what are their priorities. And many of them are really wanting more work-life balance and they want mm-hmm. flexibility to work the hours that they want. Um, and some of them are great with back-to-back 12-hour shifts so that they can have longer stretches off, but you're mm-hmm. never going to know that if you don't talk to them. Um, right. There's a, a really high fear of doing harm because their education didn't prepare them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was talking with a manager a few weeks ago, and she was telling me, oh, my God, I just lost four new grads. And <sighs> what they're telling me is they're terrified they're going to kill somebody. And, mm-hmm. and you know, she, she said, you know, I thought that our six-month, you know, preceptorship was going to be enough. And when she talked to them about what they learned in nursing school and what they were really prepared to do, you know, there was quite a gap, you know, Mm -hmm. and it doesn't make the nursing schools wrong or bad either. Mm -hmm. It's that we have to recognize that, that there are gaps and we have to help them close them in a realistic fashion. The other piece about this, this group, the millennials and Z's is they're very bright and they, you know, they have quick results. I mean, this isn't a generation that is raised on computers and, yes. you know, get immediate feedback. You get immediate results. And we have to be sensitive to the fact that this group, once they master a skill, they want to know what is next. And the challenge that I see out there is that our managers are not prepared to talk to them about what's next. So one of the things in my course, um, Be the Leader Nobody Wants to Leave, mm-hmm. we spend time on doing stay interviews. And stay interviews, unlike you know hiring interviews or exit interviews, is really designed to get at you know what they like about their work, what they don't like, and what their career aspirations are so that the manager can help them 
you know. So, so you know, those are just some, some of the things that I wanted to bring out about retention differences in the various age groups. Yeah, and as you're talking about what their aspirations are, uh, if somebody is saying, ultimately, I do want to be in administration, uh, then, you know, the manager needs to be thinking in terms of, could they come to some meetings with me? Could they meet yeah. some of the, um, uh, you know, managers or whatever would be that next step that they would be looking at doing so that they can talk to different people and see, does this make sense? Um, yeah. When our organization, I think one of the things that we did that was so successful was a mentor-menteeship. And we started with, you know, the top level, and then we um, uh, matched them, not just by what they wanted to learn, but also by personality, by all kinds of different things. And those uh, mentee-mentor matches often ended up staying longer. And not only was it a positive for the mentee, but also the mentor was hearing things about what was happening um, deep into the organization that they would not have heard from anybody else. Right. And so, exactly. you know, so many things that can't be addressed unless you know what they are. Yes, yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So um, I'm looking uh, at kind of where we are, and I'm wondering if there were, say, two or three things that you really, really want every single person that's listening today to know. Um, what are the most important things that if they can get and, and understand them, what is going to be most helpful for them in changing this problem in their own organization? Well, I had said this, and at the risk of sounding redundant, it's people leave their managers, not their job. All right, so what can you do to become a stronger leader? Um, and some of the things that we, you know, uncovered in the research and what went into our creating the course, Be the Leader Nobody Wants to Leave, is, you know, hiring for fit. You know, once you have that vision, how do you hire? How do you do mm -hmm. the stay interviews? How do you coach? Um, you know, all of these are skills that you have to, you know, learn the theory, but apply and get feedback. So looking for um, leadership develop development that's not transactional, but rather transformational. You know? Talk and about by, the difference between those two, because those are terms that have been thrown around a lot in the last many years, but not all everybody knows what that means. Yeah, Transactional so I'll, versus I'll just trans give you the Reader's Digest view from the Chris Baird okay. vantage point, <laughs> and that is, you know, transactional is I'm going to go online and I'm going to watch a video and mm. check the box and maybe take the quiz at the end saying, yep, she listened, um, you know, and check, check, check. That's transactional. Mm -hmm. Transformational is what does that learning bring to your practice as a nurse leader? Mm -hmm. so, so, for instance, um, we designed ours to be transformational. So you do go online, you do watch videos and um, do some interaction and discussion, but you also have an assignment to go out and apply a newly formed skill and then we'll come together and we'll do coaching so that you can talk about what you learned, what went well, what didn't go well, 
So the transformation takes place with that combination, you know, so that you're getting, you know, the cognitive portion, you're getting the hands-on portion, and you're getting feedback so that you can um, continue to improve. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, that is so important. So if somebody is listening to this and would like to talk to you about any of this information, do you want to give your um, email and your website again? Yeah, thank you. Um, it's My email is Chris with a K, K-R-I-S, at Baird-Group.com. And then my website is Baird, B-A-I-R-D, dash group, G-R-O-U-P dot com. Okay, so pretty easy. So I just want to thank you so much, Chris, because you have um, given some uh, opening of the eyes to a lot of people and also that it isn't uh, hopeless, that um, there are some things out there. In fact, there are a lot of things out there now that maybe weren't there 20 years ago. So uh, I thank you so much for coming and joining us and uh, hope maybe we can even talk again sometime. I would love that. Thanks for having me, Leanne. You're sure welcome. So I wanted to close. I like to close when I can uh, with a quote. And so I came across this one today uh, from my favorite poet, Daisaku Ikeda. He's a Japanese Buddhist who at 93 has lived his entire life in efforts for world peace and happiness for all mankind. And this quote says, if you allow the passing of time to let you forget the lofty vows of your youth, you stand to block the source of your own boundless good fortune and sever the roots of limitless prosperity for your family and loved ones as well. Please never let this happen. Only by remaining steadfast to the vows we have made in our youth can we shine as true victors in life, unquote. So, um, again, I thank you all for listening. If you have any questions, suggestions, concerns, uh, know of any subjects or speakers who should be on the show, please contact me at Leanne, L-E-A-N-N-E, at onceanurse.com. And I, again, just thank everyone for being present and for all of the input I have been getting from you. So thank you for listening. Make it a great week, and don't let anyone take it away. Thank you for listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with your host, Leanne Meyer. Be sure to join us again next Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a productive and insightful week.